Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I have an interview with Jason from Game Tech at the end, and all the QAs and news is normal. And also, I was away for a few days last week, so I am still catching up from emails. So if you guys had sent me something and I haven't responded yet, I'm really sorry. I don't. I tried to get to everybody's email, but that was kind of overwhelming. I just happened to get hit with like 50 emails a day last week. So, um, and I totally was aware of why things, uh, certain segments of the podcast got. Uh, AV out of sync last week Uh, and it's just basically it's because I try to do too many things at once so my CPU was getting taxed but uh, I won't do that again I'll make sure to to only be recording when I'm recording and not have anything else running in the background so sorry if that was annoying but hopefully I didn't screw it up this week anyway let's jump into the news well I guess we're going to start out with the GameCube video plug and play I kind of feel like this was beaten to death and I'm not even sure if how far I want to go into it, but a lot of people were asking my opinion and were asking that I address it on the podcast. And uh, I mean, my goal in this is always to just keep everybody informed of what's going on in the retro gaming world. So even if I'm not so excited to talk about something, I got to just suck it up and do it. So if you guys, hopefully I'm not going to bore you guys with it and maybe skip to the next one if, uh, if you're really sick of hearing it. But here's a quick rundown of what happened. A guy who goes by Zelda X Pro, Zelda XP Pro, his name is Joseph, um, posted something on a forum and emailed me a couple of months ago, and he called it GameCube Video Plug and Play. And I'll admit that that original post was a little bit weird. It said things like, you know, this is a finished product, I'm not looking for any feedback, I just want to put this out there. That's kind of not how that, that works. And that's certainly not something you'd post on a forum like BitBuilt, which it's all about guys tearing stuff apart and, you know, uh, like tearing products apart, not tearing each other apart and, you know, and, and working to make things better. Um, so in, when I responded to his email, I said, hey, this looks like a really cool prototype, but, you know, and I, I'll take a look at it for you and give you my opinion. But you might want to edit that post because, you know, you should be getting people's opinions. And oh, by the way, if you could put something in upside down, it's a prototype period. You can't, you know, you have to work that out before it's production. Uh, And he sent me one and it it worked fine. That version didn't have any on-screen display, but it was fine. Um, Held together by glue and tape, but I thought it was a very cool prototype. And I used the word prototype. I don't think he did, but I certainly did. And I meant it as a compliment. I meant it as like, hey, you know, this is awesome. Great first step. Like, can't wait to see where you go next. And then he emailed me when he came out with the 2.0 version and I also called it a prototype because, once again, if it's held together with glue and tape, it's a prototype. Uh, but he fixed it so that it doesn't go upside down. You could you could only plug it in one way. And the connection was a lot more solid. But the problem with it, other than the glue and tape thing, was that the pins that actually like grab onto the socket 
there is nothing separating them. So they could, you know, you could physically grab them and bend them or, you know, I don't think it could go in the wrong way, but certainly if it was really torqued one way or another, you could pinch the pins together. And in a lot of places, that would mean that you would short out the GameCube itself. And apparently that's exactly what happened to a few people. And he sent me an email asking, you know, do you want to review it? And I told him the truth. Um, No, because it's a prototype. Uh, I want to review the finished product because this is very cool. But, you know, you need some more work. Then he sent it to uh, Metal Jesus Rocks, who's a famous YouTuber. Is that how I'm supposed to say it? Some of the kids are calling it famous YouTubers. I I don't know. Sorry if the nomenclature is wrong. Um, And, you know... I don't really know much about him because the only thing we have in common is that we talk about retro video games. I do nerd and tech stuff, and he does, like, fun, positive stuff. But he seems to be just a nice, positive guy, so cool. But he kind of missed a step. And, you know, everybody makes mistakes. I mean, I deleted two videos in the past two months and re-uploaded them because of mistakes I made, even after trying to check my mistakes. So I'm certainly not shitting on him for making a mistake, but... Um, he didn't research and figure out that uh, Joseph wasn't the designer, Unseen was, um, which does kind of bother me. Somebody uh, the other week in the comments posted something pretty negative about that. I won't put his name up, but I, that's like the antithesis of what I'm about. You know, I I really want to, I think every one of us should be high-fiving each other on the way down the line, because if it wasn't for one person's work, the other person couldn't have done theirs, which means they couldn't have done theirs. So let's all just share the glory together, I guess. Uh, So he really should have mentioned Unseen. And, you know, he should have reached out to somebody else that's more technical that understands these things. And I'm, you know, although my website ranks pretty high on the web ratings, my YouTube channel is very new, so I'm still a nobody. Uh, I don't expect him to reach out to me, but there's GameSack, My Life in Gaming, even like a gaming historian, I love his channel, uh, he's not too technical, but they all know the guys that are. So it would have been nice if he had just spent a little time. But the guy's busy. He makes a million videos a week. So he presented it as a finished product. And a lot of people get upset because a lot of people... When I say a lot, a lot out of the percentage sold. So I think he must have sold like 100 of these or something. And there was 5 or 6. Uh, so it's 5 or 6%. That's high. But a lot of people's consoles were dying. And... Uh, then Metal Jesus Rocks console died. Uh, he caught it on video. Hopefully I could place it in the video properly now. Um, and basically, uh, somebody yanked the cord and the whole GameCube went flying and it shorted out. So, I mean, that's a that's a hard yank. That wasn't a light nudge. Somebody else said that they're, they just bumped their console and it did it. And to be honest, you know, maybe it could go either way. But all I know is that when you make something like that, Um, you really should have those pins separated. And here's where we get into a lot of the big issues. So, like, you need to have, in order to do something like that, you need to have a way to either make it a do-it-yourself project, uh, small quantity, literally, like, do it myself for a one-off, or mass-produce it. When you mass-produce it, you run into problems like badass consoles is. Now, don't don't start going nuts and lighting me on fire in the in the comments. I'm not defending his communication. Uh, I don't know why he hasn't started internal installs yet. Um, I you know I I hope 
hope I hope there's good reasons for it. But I do know the reason that the the plug and play is taking so or GameCube Video X is taking so long because I worked at a company that had plastic molds for their the plastic computer cases and all of this stuff takes forever and you have to get samples back. Um it's kind of like a 3D sample but it's uh using the real molds. There's always little tweaks to change. It it takes forever, but the difference is when you're done, you could stamp out 5,000 of them and you know, 4,998 of them are perfect. Whereas when you 3D print, you know, you need to take the care to, to make sure that each one is fine. Maybe there's burrs that need to be sanded. You know, there's a million little things that can go wrong. And for do-it-yourself stuff, it's totally cool. Have it print 3D printed somewhere, get it back, make sure it fits, grab some sandpaper and a file. It's a fun project. Um, so I, I don't know that Zelda X Pro design is ever going to be anything other than a prototype. And that's really the thing that I'm upset with him about is just you got to present it as a prototype. And, you know, maybe I don't know anything about this. I don't really have much of a communication with Joseph, but maybe he he mentioned Unseen. Maybe he didn't. Um, I I hope that he did uh, because that's, I mean, that's 90% of the work was what Unseen did. And also, I think he forgot that there are some terms in the open source that you're supposed to be following, uh, at least the one that Unseen chose. So, you know, I'm not talking shit about him. I'm not here to, like, blast anybody. I just kind of wanted to... A lot of people were wondering what the situation was, and I just wanted to lay it out. So um, he said that he's working on a 3.0 that has a 3D case on it uh, that, you know, you could all the pins go in. I hope he's not holding it together with tape and glue. And I hope that he calls it a prototype, and I hope he does so with pride. Um, you know, when I called it a prototype before, I said that in a very positive way. Now, in the context of all these GameCubes getting shorted out, I'm saying it in a negative way, like, that was a prototype. He should have been telling people it's a prototype. And, you know, we're all pretty forgiving and understanding. So if somebody said, hey, here's a cool prototype, not sure how well it's going to work, use at your own risk, but, you know, some people might really want this, I think a lot of people would still have bought it. Totally fine. It's a GameCube. You know, you're out. It's not like a Wonder Mega or a High Saturn. If you blow it up, you're up out 30 bucks or something. So, you know, it's the type of, it's the perfect thing to take a risk on at the moment. Obviously, I'm into preservation, so I don't want to see anything blown up. But, you know, of all the situations, this is the least worst. Um, and I just, I hope he learns from his mistakes. And even just in the short time that I've been doing this podcast, in just about a year, there's been a couple of cases of people making a mistake and then saying, hey, I screwed this up, but here's how I'm going to fix it. And then everybody's happy. <laughs> so you don't you don't have to, if you're, I don't know if Joseph even watch, is watching this. And then I wouldn't be ashamed. It must be hard because the Metal Jesus video had like 500,000 views on it. So just suck it up, move on to the next prototype, call it a prototype, and go from there. Uh, and I think this will all be okay. Um, but there's a lot more GameCube video news coming up. So obviously, Badass Consoles is coming out eventually, and I truly, truly believe that, that everybody who wants one is going to get one, and it's going to be in a, a reasonable period of time, not the optimistic uh, time frame that Michael thought, but I mean, I just, I, I know the few times that I got a chance to speak to him in the past few months, I know that he's still working on it, and he's striving to make it perfect, so you don't have to worry about shorts. 
Also, Citrus 3000 PSI is working on some pretty awesome stuff, and he even is planning on releasing a lot of it for uh, open source once he's done working the bugs out. Uh, and I think he's working with Colin, Colin Gall. I'm, I'm sorry, you guys know I always screw up the names. Um, to do the 3D printed full thing so the, uh, the pins fit inside of it. So it, it just... You know, when all the smoke is cleared from this and, you know, the the few people whose GameCubes blew up get new ones and everything's fine, I really would like to look back at this as a time where a bunch of people are coming up with some amazing products based on Unseen's work and a lot of people's 3D print work. And there's just a lot of cool stuff going on and everybody seems to really be taking advantage of it and, and for the most part, sharing ideas. So it's an exciting time if you're a GameCube fan. You know, you could uh, Leon K has been doing some phenomenal internal installs and using the other person's 3D print. I'm sorry, I forgot who that was. Uh, 3D printed tray so that the HDMI port sits where the digital video port was. So it's technically a no cut mod. Looks great too. Um, you know, Citrus 3000 PSI is doing all of his uh, awesome do-it-yourself stuff. So you know, he's taking low quality installs and and helping people. Uh, able to do their own so there's just a lot going on now and i hope it could be looked at positively at the end of the day but if not you know i I don't know i just uh it was an awkward situation because i think a lot of people could have handled it better and it could have been completely avoided so you know everybody makes mistakes i hope everybody learns from them and just does better next time and i really really hope that i didn't ramble too long on this one i just a ton of people had asked me to just explain what's going on. Are there GameCubes exploding? Should I buy this? Should I not? And it's just, I guess the super short version is uh, the Zelda X Pro things, a prototype. The next version will still be a prototype, regardless of what he calls it. And there's nothing wrong with using one as long as you use it at your own risk. Other solutions are coming out that may or may not be better for your needs. But tons of links in the description um, for, to point you in the, the right place of all these things. And obviously, anytime there's new info, I will keep everybody updated. So really hope I didn't just have everybody close the window and delete this week's podcast because I bored everybody. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, on a much, much lighter note, somebody named Matt Brailsford on Twitter posted a video. I saw Arcade TV retweeted it, and I went apeshit when I saw it. He took a, basically a toy and he put a Raspberry Pi and a screen in it and made it a working OutRun arcade tabletop. And he's got the high-low shifter, the speedometer and tack work. I mean, it is so cool. I, I would absolutely kill for one of these. I would, you know, my apartment's the size of a closet. I would find some place to display it so that people could play it while it sits there. Um, I absolutely love work like this. This is just, uh, it's artwork and nerdiness at the same time. Um, I wish there was some way to buy one of these, but obviously it's a hand-built thing. And I just uh, I absolutely had to share it with everybody because I feel like, you know, a lot of people that listen to the podcast uh, listen to it for different things. Some people like the ROM hacks, some people like the hardware stuff. I think everybody would at the very least look at that video and go, that's freaking cool. So, uh, Matt, I don't know you at all, but uh, man, it, if you make more of these things, uh, I can't wait to see them. So, that's a very cool and put a huge smile on my face when I saw it because I love Outrun. It looks like the SNES Classic has been sent out to a few larger people to review. And it got decent reviews. Basically, it's better than the NES Classic, but, you know, on the same line of it 
probably being a toy for us hardcore retro gamers. Uh, and I, I guess it's a few weeks away, so I will be in line at the Nintendo store trying to score one of these things. And um, hopefully I could uh, drag some people with me that have the morning off and I could buy a couple of them. I'd, I'd love to have that as a giveaway or something, but I, I highly doubt that's going to happen. At the very least, though, uh, definitely expect a full review of it. I just uh, I got a TV I've been drooling over for years. I got a, a LG OLED 4K TV, so I'm going to be doing uh, all of the review on that versus the SNES through the OSSC. And uh, just a quick thing, if anybody has that combination, I don't know if uh, there's a guy named Bon Yuki that does videos on flat screens. I don't know if he watches this at all, but everything works in 5X on that TV except the SNES, but it did once. I played like 20 minutes of Super Metroid in 5X, looked phenomenal, by the way, and then... Uh, when I switched to 4X to just to test something and back, it hasn't worked in 5X since. So if anybody happens to know a trick to get, you know, SNES more compatible for the OLED TVs in 5X mode, it obviously worked because it played flawlessly for 20 minutes. So sorry, totally off topic, but uh, I, I will definitely be doing a pretty thorough review of the SNES Classic when it's out. Retro HQ just released a new firmware for the Neo Geo Pocket flashcard. And it fixes a bug while saving out a ROM from the installed games to the SD card. So uh, that's kind of an important thing, I guess, if you're looking to back up your saves while you're playing. Um, obviously, it's available for free right on their webpage. And I love the fact that, uh, that Retro HQ is continuing to support the product and not just like, all right, it's out, goodbye. Like He's really standing behind it, and he's still got other cool things in the works as well. So hopefully I can get Saint on the podcast sometime uh, to talk about all his, his cool inventions. Next, it looks like Europe is getting a new 3DS XL that looks like a Super Nintendo. So uh, a little bit jealous. It looks very cool. Um, hopefully I'll score the Metroid edition when that comes out. I doubt it. I'm sure it'll sell out like everything else they've been lately. But options are always awesome, and uh, it's just a very cool throwback. The emulation box called the Retro Engine Sigma looks like it's having a lot of trouble. A lot of people were posting reviews of it, explaining what was going on, and uh, it just looks like something to be cautious of. Um funny because when I first mentioned this and said to be weary of it, a whole bunch of people in the comments got offended. Oh, why would you, you know, why would you jump to that conclusion? And the answer I gave then is the answer that I'm going to give now. And it's, uh, I've seen this before a lot. So it's, I, I hope they work it out. I think it looks really cool, but um, yeah, I, I mean, stuff like this is really hard to pull off. Well, you really need uh, you need to either build it for yourself or you need a huge community supported project like Laka, RetroPie, uh, all those things. Uh, having a small group of people trying to work on it is rough, and I, I you know it's a very cool looking product, and I hope they can get every, all the bugs worked out. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I would I would stay clear of it at least for the short term. Next, the Enco N64 stick project it looks like it's still having more delays. And uh, it's kind of an interesting situation because I believe Andrew is the person behind it. Um, when he first came out, he gave a very unrealistic estimate on when he'd be able to get these to people. Um, it's not, it's never as easy as people think. Like we were just talking with the GameCube video stuff. Plastic manufacturing is rough. You got to go through many different revisions uh, when it's small stuff like that, even with larger parts. But I, I found that the smaller stuff is really harder to get right. 
Um, but he is communicating well enough, and he's certainly... I mean, it's obvious to me that this guy wants to make it perfect. So anybody that backed the project, I did as well. You know, it would have been nice if uh, when the project was launched, he said something like, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'll get it eventually. Uh, but the bottom line is, we'll, we're going to get a product that that's, it's, you know, a step above, I guess is probably the best way to put it. So um, I'm glad that there's still progress, and I'm glad that he's been uh, he's been continuing the updates. I think he updates more on Twitter than on the Kickstarter. I could be wrong about that. But for anybody who backed the project, uh, I would it would be my estimate that it's still months away because you need to get um, pre-production prototypes tested out of the same mold that you're using for production. And once that is done, then you place the order, and that's usually six weeks. So if he hasn't gotten perfect prototypes yet, um, I mean, it's probably three months away at minimum. But I know nothing about his business. This is just one guy speculating from the outside. I'm just really happy that he's continuing to work on the project and continuing to update people. And speaking of N64 controllers, the next-gen N64 controller by RetroFighters has made 10 times what they originally asked for on Kickstarter. So there's still a few days to go, but basically you can add a zero at the end of that original number, and they've hit that, which is pretty cool. I think this is obviously then something a lot of people would like. Um, they said the most common thing people were asked asking for is an octagonal gate, an eight-way gate. Is octagonal the right word here? Octagonal? I know I suck at pronouncing people's names, but I'm usually good at real words. Anyway, um, and he said that's going to cost a few weeks of delay in the production, but since most people really wanted it, he wanted to include it. They wanted to include it, which is awesome. Good to listen to people. Um, my, my biggest concern, because they make other controllers, so I would assume that they would be able to make a good feeling controller. I really want to know what the board is inside it, how it interfaces with the N64, what they're using. There were uh, there was somebody that posted in the comments last week a link to a discussion about how their NES controller uh, had a little controller lag in it. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't used it at all. But maybe I can get these guys on for an interview and, and talk about how they're doing it. Because if the board is made right and there is no added lag, you know, there's always microseconds and whatever it is. You know, as long as it's not more than an N64 controller, I feel like this thing's going to um, be something that a lot of ga uh, fighting gamers really use. Because it's just got the more modern feel to it. So uh, I'll keep everybody updated as I hear more. And if anybody knows these guys, uh, you know, maybe... Put me in touch with them. I guess I could just do a, a random email, but most of those get ignored, so it would be fun to interview them. It looks like the upper graphics is now up for pre-order, and that is the plug-and-play DVI adapter for the TurboGrafx-16. And it's kind of interesting because it's up for pre-order for $412. So you could buy a DV graphics booster and an OSSC and the necessary cables for that much money, for less, I believe. So it would really, it would take somebody that really, really wanted this exact thing in order to it, for it to be worth it. But there is one feature that nobody else on the planet has yet, and that an optical drive emulator is included. So you can stick an SD card in and run Turbo CD games from an SD card. That's awesome. Um, I, I really wish there was some other way to have just that. Uh, and maybe you have to make a pass-through. I really don't know, to be honest, exactly how you would pull that off. 
Um, so I guess I understand why you'd have to have the video adapter in it at the same time, but um, 412 is a lot of money. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't know that I could justify spending that, even if it was for a SNES, and I love the SNES. So, um, I mean, there's been debates on forums about this thing, but uh, I'd love to, at the very least, try one out and put it up against uh, an analog RGB solution through an upscaler, because I'll tell you, uh, some of the some of the better RGB mods I've seen in Turbo Duos have looked so good that uh, I'd really be interested to see how it compared to a digital out solution. It looks like the game Secret of Mana is getting a 3D remake coming out in February on PS4 and Vita, and I believe PC as well. So it's kind of cool to see another classic game get a modern treatment. Um, I really, obviously, I've been talking about it nonstop, but I loved the um, Wonder Boy A Dragon's Trap remake. Hard as hell, but a fun game. So who knows? Hopefully this one will uh, will hold up to the standard that I think a lot of these remakes have been held to because like, Wonder Boy was amazing. I hope, pe- I hope everybody else that makes a remake um, tries to, to reach the level that they reached and how much fun it was and how accurate and... I don't know. I know I'm just gushing over it again, but uh, it's very cool if you're a Secret of Mana fan. A game was just shown called Swords of Ditto being released in 2018. That's kind of like a modern version of uh, the original top-down Zeldas. So imagine graphics like A Dragon's Trap, but you know, on a Zelda game. And to be honest, I'm so happy classic style games are making a bit of a comeback. And I, I know I say this all the time, but you know, I'll say it again. I don't love these games because of nostalgia. I love these games because that's my favorite style to play. So whether it's on a SNES or a PS4, if it's a fun game in that same either side-scrolling or top-down adventure, um, I want to play it. You know, I just uh, I love those types of games. And there was a small period of time that we didn't really get those at all. So I'm happy people are understanding that and still making the, the you know that style of game. And I hope it continues down this path as well. Some people on the SMS Power forums have figured out a way to automatically detect whether a Genesis or Master System controller is plugged in and automatically set the start button as needed, which is really awesome because there's no more, that now there would no longer be a need for two versions of every ROM, one for the Genesis controller, one for the SMS. And that's really cool, both for people who do homebrew games, uh, Game Gear to SMS conversions, but also things like um, all the games that, the SMS games that can't be played with the Genesis controller. I think if you implement this code, now you could have one ROM that works on both controllers. So let me show you guys how it works. I just want to demonstrate the automatic controller detection that could now be programmed into SMS ROM hacks, thanks to a bunch of awesome people on the SMS Power forums. So I'm going to start the game uh, with the control pad, the SMS control pad plugged in. And here you go. So this obviously works exactly as you would expect. Pause button on the SMS, and then uh, the controls work exactly as they should. But here's the cool part. So same exact ROM, but I'm going to start with a Genesis controller plugged in. So as you can see, I'm just going to go to start game, nothing else. And now check it out. The start button is paused. 
So you can still use the SMS one, but just by having the automatic controller detection built in, now you no longer need to, to have a separate ROM for the Genesis controller and a separate ROM for SMS controllers. This will work perfectly on, on both. So this is exciting stuff and I hope a lot of people decide to implement this into their ROM hacks. Um, or even into games where you need a special patched version to use a Genesis controller. Maybe having automatic controller detection instead would be a great way to have one patched ROM that could be used on everything. So amazing work to the guys that did this, uh, and now I'm going to go play some games. I'm happy to say that somebody on the SMS Power forums has already implemented that auto-detection feature into their latest hack. It's Wonder Boy and Monster World, which has a save game hack, as well as a different color palette, which I think they do a great job to make it look, um, it, it kind of feels totally different. Um, and as well as have the automatic pad detection built in. So very cool patch. Um, I'd love to play through this game because I never really played any of the Wonder Boy games on SMS when I was a kid. So uh, if I give this one a try, it's definitely going to be this version. Smoke Monster just uploaded pre-patched versions of Sonic CD++. Now, for anybody that's unfamiliar, it's basically just Sonic CD with a few pretty cool enhancements like the Sonic 2 Spin Dash and the newer Homecoming Attack with a couple other little things. And I played through it when I first discovered it and just thought it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I love Sonic CD, but this is now actually the version that I would prefer to play. But one of the things that I didn't even know about was he included the 920 prototype version of it, which I guess is like the, um, it has the Japanese music uh, on the US version, and it's pretty much a, a finished version. So I hadn't played through that before, and I'm really looking forward to give this a try. So um, I'm still not really sure how it works, leaving links to um, the EP forum, hint, hint. But uh, some quick Googling, you should find it. And I'll post the info from um, the, the, at least the links on Sonic Retro for those two games, Sonic CD++ and the 920 build for anybody that's interested. And hopefully someday we'll have an optical drive emulator for Sega CD to play these games on. Any, any of you geniuses out there that are working on ODEs, we could really use one for the Sega CD. It looks like the Satiator project is temporarily on hold. That's Professor Abrasive's plug-and-play Saturn optical drive emulator. And while, of course, I'm disappointed because I was really looking forward to that, I really appreciate how transparent he's being about this. I guess uh, his family has to move to a new city, so he's just being honest with everybody. And on top of that, he's paused his Patreon, so people aren't going to get charged while he's in the midst of a move, which is just a really classy thing to do. So, um, you know, I really enjoyed the interview I did with him, and uh, I'm looking forward to supporting his work. And I just, uh, of course, because I'm a, a greedy little retro gamer, I want it as quickly as possible. But, uh, I, you know, life happens, and I'm really happy that he was just able to be honest and uh, just tell people what was up. So expect a few months delay, and hopefully we'll still see it next year. Another update to the Game Boy interface software. Extrems has added the Donkey Kong Bongo support. I have no idea how that would be implemented, but uh, maybe somebody could let me know in the comments. And he's also improved the Game Boy Player driver, which should fix the instability seen under specific circumstances. So, as always, uh, Extremes is just chugging ahead and continuing to add to this. So, uh, I mean, when it was first released, I said I thought it was my favorite way to play GBA games on TV, and as of now, it still is. So, lots of cool stuff coming out in the future, but... 
if you have a Game Boy uh, Game Boy Player adapter and a GameCube, this is absolutely the way to go. Another Mario Kart ROM hack was just released. This one's called More Super Mario Kart, and it's basically to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Mario Kart. Somebody created 20 brand new courses and added a few graphical tweaks. I was able to play through one or two levels, and I really liked it. It wasn't obscenely hard, but it was definitely a new challenge, and, and they threw some twists into it. And uh, so if anybody's a Mario Kart fan, it's certainly worth uh, checking out. Also, I was wondering if anybody knows of any full graphical hacks for Mario Kart, because I just I never liked the split-screen view. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of that had to do with you know, how much resolution could be processed at a time or stuff like that. I, I'm, you know, I'm sure there was a reason for them to do that, even in the one-player mode. But are there any hacks that, like, delete the other view and move the main, like, the main screen down into the middle? Or is there any way to increase the actual viewable area? I doubt it, but uh, I just figured I would ask because uh, a lot of awesome developers listen. So hopefully somebody knows uh, some kind of tricks for it. Jose Cruz, a.k.a. CruzLink, came down to the office a few days ago and uh, did an RGB mod to a 20-inch Sony TV. Um, I really wanted to go over this once more as like an overview, so I'll probably post a video within a week just kind of showing the basics of what he did, but it's not going to be like a how-to video. I really wanted to, to kind of just wait and absorb the information, maybe try it again myself, and then do a how-to video on it. And because uh, it's going to take forever, uh, but the short short version was, you know, he's gotten so good at these that doing the actual mod itself was like an hour and a half, but then finding the solution to an um, a horizontal shift problem that took a while. And luckily, because he's done it so many times, he kind of knew where to look. He went through the data sheets, um, and it got fixed. But I just this stuff really fascinates me, and I think it's amazing and a great alternative to people who can't afford a BVM or find a PVM because shipping is really the big deal. You know, if you live far away, it'll cost more to ship one of these monitors than to buy it, but it might be pretty easy to find yourself a reasonable sized CRT just laying around. So um, I'll, I showed, you know, a little bit of video footage here. I'll try to put together, I'm going to call it like an overview video. And people who are technical will be able to follow that and the forum posts about how to do it themselves. But definitely, you know, there will eventually be a step-by-step how-to video or video series, depending on how I need to do it. Because I just think it's important that this information gets archived. And it's stuff like this that I hope the new version of the website just gets, you know, a section upon subsection dedicated to this stuff. You know, not just for TVs, but each model TV could have its own page. And I just think it's awesome. Also, the one thing I want to do very soon, uh, even if, you know, way before the, the how-to video, is I want to get really good DSLR pics of this RGB modded 20-inch Sony consumer-grade TV versus a 20-inch PVM, the 20M2U that I've had forever, versus the 20-inch D-series BVM that I have. That's phenomenal. So three screens, exact same size. I'll make sure that the pictures are... I mean, you guys know my OCD with the comparison shots. 
so that way people could really see the difference. And maybe I'll also throw in composite on that TV just to, to really show the steps that you can go through um, and the differences. So that will be soon. That'll be hopefully by the end of next week. The overview, overview video should probably be then as well. And uh, the how-to is a long way off. But I really love this stuff. I'm so happy that Jose spent hours just came over and did it for me just because he he wanted to help me out and make sure I learned how to do it so huge huge thank you to him and the iFix retro team so uh, hopefully I'll have a lot more on this again in the future I just obviously I get really excited about some of these things and uh, I'd like to have more to show I just posted a video demonstrating the FM sound from the new Mega EverDrive X7's firmware update and the whole point of the video was basically just to say, here's what the original MK2000 sounds like, which is funny because it's actually kind of tinny because there's no filter on it. Uh, then here's another hardware-based solution. It's the DB Electronics PowerBase FM that has that same FM chip in it. He actually puts a, fil- a low-pass filter in there, so it sounds great. It sounds better than the original, in my opinion. And then it shows the FPGA-based version that Necronom 5 wrote. And the whole point of the video is just to show you guys that the Necronom 5's version is awesome. I mean, there's 99.9% of people that hear it are going to be, are going to think it's totally fine and a perfectly good way to experience the FM sound games. But there is a bit of a difference. The problems are that I recorded them through a PC sound card that's built onto a motherboard. Um, and there's YouTube compression on there, and I believe there's even another beta firmware available for the EverDrive. So it's not a scrutinizing uh, comparison. It's just kind of a basic, here's what to expect. What I will do soon is do redo all of the audio comparison tests for FM Sound, including the video I did years ago uh, before I really even did YouTube videos that showed other choices. You know, I want to get my good music sound recording equipment in, my, my Focusrite boxes, get excellent shielded cables and, and run the audio as good as I can in every scenario and compare them that way. And that way, you know, people could download just the wave files, throw on some headphones. And if you're a freak like me and you could hear every little difference, you know, that's from the years of trying to be a musician and stuff. But, you know, I think the the audio freaks will, uh, will like that. But most people, that video and the other one I posted a few years ago is fine. I just wanted the audio files to know that I will be doing a wave capture of this eventually so you could really hear the differences. And I'd be interested to see, once the firmware matures and everything is exactly as Necronom 5 would want it, how that compares to uh, to the original and to DB Electronics with the filter on it. But for everybody but the 0.01% of the audio freaks, uh, it's a great solution and you'll love it. And if you already have an EverDrive X7, I mean, there you go. Who, who's going to complain about a free update? So once again, thank you to Necronom 5 tremendously thank you for doing that for us because that's a huge help and a big addition to uh to the community now on to the q a's first i missed one last week um will lyson leeson sorry you guys know i am with the names uh he posted that someone already made a fast booting pico 8 image for raspberry pi where you could even set it to boot directly into a specific game. So I think that would be really cool then to try Blizz's Lemon Hunter. Uh, maybe I could try to get it to work that way. But uh, I just figured I would share that information because I, you know, the very few times I've had the time to play with a Raspberry Pi, I've had a lot of fun and could do a lot of crazy stuff with it. So I just figured I'd pass that one around. Thanks for sharing, Will. 
Thanks to everybody who posted name suggestions, both for what the new website might be called, as well as what the Indiegogo campaign should be called. Please keep them coming, because that was awesome. Uh, There's a lot with retro in the name, and if it is a not-for-profit thing, if I actually hit the target goal, um, it would really encompass everything. It would encompass all consoles, including current ones, because believe it or not, there really still is room to talk about what to do with newer consoles. While, yes, use HDMI for everything, there's a little more to it than that. Um, Also, I wanted to incorporate all kinds of CRTs, from RGB monitors to consumer-graded TVs, just basically everything surrounding that. Old PCs, like, you know, PC gaming or just using old PCs, Basically, you know, imagine like a tech-based Wikipedia, but that's really geared towards anything gaming-related with deep technical documents in it. So while it'll have a front page, you know, each console or item will have a pretty front page. It's basic and, you know, best games for the console, you know, link to all that stuff. Uh, You know, RGB mods, whatever. It's also going to have a section that's deeply technical with data sheets and thing, information that we all find and share. So, And it would be that way for everything. The TVs, the monitors, game consoles, I mean, freaking VCRs, whatever. I just If it's tech and it's anything video or computer or video game related, uh, I would love to have that be centered in it. Because there's just all of that info is scattered across the internet. So if you could think of a name that encompasses all of that, that would be awesome. And, you know, the worst case scenario is the uh, the Indiegogo doesn't make much and the website stays as retro RGB and it's just not a, a not-for-profit company. It's still going to be a Wikipedia style for everybody to use. It's just going to take a lot longer to transition over and it won't be, um, you know, a, a lot of the features I would have liked to have provided I wouldn't be able to include. But... I don't know, it's kind of cool that whether the uh, whether the Indiegogo is a, a massive success or just a meh, like, it's cool that there's still an, a positive end to the project. I just really feel like if I actually get to make it a real not-for-profit company, it'll open up the doors to so many things, including and especially the fact that people might be more willing to donate their um, their content, I guess, because it's not just sending it to some dude, it's... You know, this is a, a group of people, an organization that is a museum that would try to be lasting forever. So, I don't know, maybe I'm just wishful thinking, but I think I'm going to still try to launch it September 1st. So maybe we'll see next week. Uh, keep the names coming. Uh, I will post videos probably first to the Patreons to get their, um, their opinions uh, on how, you know, like how the Indigo- Indiegogo campaign should look or sound. And then, uh, you know, once I iron out some some details, probably re-record the video, I'll get everybody's opinion on it, and then I'll just launch it. So, fingers crossed, uh, and if you guys can get me on any of the bigger-named podcasts, or if you're listening, throw me a bone, dude. <laughs> I'll never ask for this again either way, so uh, if any of the, the guys who, who have the, you know, if you have lots of subscribers on YouTube, you got a podcast with lots of listeners... Just get my dumb ass on there to talk about it. I won't waste too much of your time, and hopefully we could all make this happen together. So anyway, thank you for the names. Thank you for the suggestions, and hopefully I'll be able to just have uh, the campaign ready to show next week. Not the website ready to show. That'll still just look like a bare-bones shell of something, but the campaign at least. 
Another big thank you to everybody who posted suggestions about how to clean the box. To be honest, I, I haven't had time to, to even think about doing that. I was away for a good chunk of last week and I've been, just been trying to catch up. But I mean, there were some methods that I never thought of that were uh, very safe. So like the worst thing that could happen is nothing. So uh, that's incredible. And if I could find, maybe I'll do, when I say do a video, I don't mean like a big long video. Maybe I'll just do a very quick video showing before and after in the method I chose using. Because I feel like stuff like this, sorry, I'm looking up at the box up there. <laughs> I feel like stuff like this would really uh, help other people that might just want to be a little nitpicky about certain things. So thank you so much to all the su uh, suggestions and I'll keep people posted on what it is that I did. So this last thing isn't really a Q&A. I just thought maybe you guys might get a kick out of it. Um, ever since the website started to get a lot of hits a day, I got a ton of spam from people trying to buy ads, sell me stuff, and I, I deleted almost every one of them. There was only one or two I responded to. One, because it was so ridiculous, I just had to hear what they said. And another one, it made it seem like they actually knew what the site was about. And then as soon as the follow-up email happened, they're idiots like the rest. Uh, I really thought the second one was actually like somebody in the retro gaming world, but nope. So I've told them all to take a hike. The only ads that were ever on the website and ever will be on the website are just the eBay bar on the right-hand side, which very often is helpful. Sometimes in the guides, if it says, you know, you need a... A 75 ohm resistor, you'll have the little link to it right in the right. But I had to just read these out out loud because these two made me laugh out loud. Um, so the subject is for people who who can't uh, or who aren't watching on YouTube. I promise you, there is a picture in the YouTube video, a guide to cleaning your garden fountain. Hi there, my name is Sally, and I'm writing because as a mother and a homeowner with a dog and three cats feel sorry for the puppy, it's important to have a safe as well as well-kept garden. That means cleaning our fountain every few months, especially in warmer weather. As the content manager for a fountain advice site, I thought it'd be useful to look into safely cleaning a garden fountain. I know you're busy, so I won't take too much of your time. We've researched the best ways for homeowners to clean their, clean their fountains in the safest way possible. You could check out the guide here. While doing a little research on new topics, I came across the Cleaning Consoles page, and immediately I thought of this cleaning piece as a subject you would like to cover or add as a resource. Of course, I would also love to write a brief introduction or summary for you about cleaning a fountain to put on RetroRGB.com. Please let me know what you think. Well, Sally, I have no fucking idea what your fountain would have to do with retro game consoles, but holy crap, that made me laugh out loud. And as far as a cut-and-paste email goes, that's about as common as they come. I just... Yeah, that one made me smile. Uh, and there, another one, and this one's way more typical. Dear team, I'm Anna. I read seen your blog today, and I think you have a lot of awesome articles. Moreover, your site content holds quite a similarity with my blog. For that reason, I'm interested in connecting with your site through native ways in the form of content. Do you accept sponsored posts? <laughs> no, Anna, I do not. And I most certainly wouldn't let you put anything on my website or anybody else. But I don't know. That stuff actually makes me giggle. Uh, I just thought maybe you guys would get a laugh out of it too. But there will never be anything other than the eBay ads on the site, even if it becomes a not-for-profit 
There will still be the eBay ads on that, but that's just to generate the bare minimum uh, revenue to keep the web, the new retro RGB 2.0. That was what will guarantee that it pays for itself. So hopefully if that whole thing works, I'll have a chunk of money in the, uh, the, that bank account as a reserve and the eBay ads will add, you know, like whatever, a few dollars here and there per month. But other than that, never any ads, never any ads on my website. And unless somebody's going to pay me enough to make this my day job, uh, there won't be ads in the podcast. Um, although if there were ads for things that weren't retro gaming, like all the comedians are doing blue apron now, I'd totally do that. As long as I wasn't, I would sell out to do this for a living. As long as I wasn't selling out to the retro gaming community, hope that makes sense. So like I would totally, you know, now, here's the best scissor on the planet. We should all be using this scissor. <laughs> um, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat because you guys are going to know that it's an ad. But I would never say, like, this is the best remote control for your Super Nintendo. Everybody needs to buy this. There's no way I'm ever going to sell out like that. So, I don't know. We'll see. But I just thought hopefully that would make you guys laugh the way it made me laugh. Up next is an interview with Jason from Game Tech. It was a fun, just laid-back interview, and it was really more the most podcast-style interview I've done so far. Usually the interviews are focused on a couple of topics, then of course we get lost from there, but this was really just like two dudes in the retro gaming community shooting the shit, and uh, I really enjoyed it, especially because I've, uh, I've known Jason and been working with him for, I mean, since before retro RGB was a thing, and he's always been a great dude to work with, so it was cool just kind of getting to know somebody in a different way. But I really want to hear you guys' opinion on this, because I like both. I like focused topics. I like just hanging out, shooting the shit. Uh, and I really just want to provide the content that you guys want to hear. So definitely let me know. Leave your comments down below, and I'll, I'll follow the lead in the future. And of course, he's going to be back on at some point soon, whenever there's another project. And I'm sure that interview will be a lot more focused. So, you know, that's uh, pretty much just let me know what you guys need uh, or what you guys are looking for. But anyway, as always, um, thanks so much for the Patreons for making this happen. Hopefully I'll have more info and possibly even an Indiegogo launch for next week. We'll see how all that happens. I'm still a little nervous about all that, but, uh, you know, uh, who knows? We'll see where this stuff goes. But anyway, uh, please enjoy the interview with Jason, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Hey, what's up, guys? I am here with Jason from Game Tech. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm excellent. How are you? Good. Glad we finally get to do this. I'm uh, I'm prepared. Just cracking one open. <laughs> so, uh, shit, man. You were one of the first people that I uh, got in contact with before I even really had a website. So this is a very long time coming. Um, I think you had your website up doing Nest Mods for a long time, right? Yeah, actually, I think the first website was a wiki space. I don't know if you know what that is. It might actually still be up. Um... I want to say that was 2010 or 11, and it was just a free thing that I could do, and it, a lot of the content that is in the Nintendo Top Loader page, like mm -hmm. the old heat research I did with the thermal camera, um, some uh, power draw research, all that stuff was on that page way back in the day, not just mods or whatever. Right. And... There was no real. I, it was it was like I get a lot of flack for it being a wiki space and not a real website, and there was a lot less control over it. And 
it, just, it was just it was time to get a real website. And I want to say that was maybe 2012 when I really started getting serious about everything. So, I think that must have been right when I stumbled across it because it looked very similar to what it is now. Um, so maybe, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but how did you start doing nest mods and stuff like this? I mean, is this just like something you always tinkered with? Uh, long story. So, uh, 2001, into 2001, I stumbled across eBay. And of course, what do you do when you get on eBay? You want to fulfill all your childhood desires. That is, so that is spot on correct. When you discover eBay, that's exactly what happens. Yep. My thing when I was a kid was baseball cards. Oh. So, and it wasn't really like I was into baseball, but the fact that this little piece of cardboard was worth money just fascinated me. So I went on and I probably bought five or $10,000 worth of baseball cards. Oh, wow. Over the span of like a year. And if that was 2003, you probably made a good return on it eventually. 2002. And oh, 2002, yeah. I still have every card I ever bought. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's too difficult. It's way too difficult to do baseball cards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the early days of eBay, um, we didn't really have like cheap uh, digital cameras and like uh, I didn't, I had still had dial up. So uploading pictures or whatever was a huge pain. So I gave up on the baseball cards pretty quick. But one thing I did do is I wanted to play Zelda again. Mm -hmm. right? So, of course, I searched Zelda. And me being who I am, I wanted the best deal I could find. And lo and behold, I found an auction for a huge lot of games with a top loader. So this is my first. I didn't even know they existed. I had no clue what the top loader was. And in 2002, I had no idea. So I bought it. And I don't remember what led me to it, but eventually I found Kevin Horton's page on Game... Is it Game SX or Games X? Yeah, something like that. The, the old composite mod that he posted for them or wrote up for them. Right, yeah. And, of course, I, I did it, and it was somewhat successful, I guess. <laughs> so somehow that turned into... I started buying top loaders and modifying them, reselling them on eBay... And, of course, you know, you can search for the past 60 days of sales and people would find top loaders of mine that had sold for way more than, you know, a non-modded one. And, of course, they were interested and in, in I would get contacted through eBay to modify somebody else's top loader or to do one for them or whatever. And it just, it just kept going, you know, and that's what threw me back into video games over baseball cards. Gotcha. And it's just... It's been nonstop ever since. And then it was just like a downhill spiral, like every time you, uh, you know, like the snowball effect. Then you realize you could do audio mods, and then, hey, can you do a Super Nintendo, too, because you're already doing that. Is it, was it just something like that where people just kept acting on this stuff? It was, um, it was a profit thing. Mm -hmm. You know, just like most modders, that when they first get into it, they're like, oh, I can make a ton of money doing this. Yes and no, and... The other downward spiral was uh, starting a collection. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I had I had a complete TG16 Hue card and CD collection. Oh, wow. Within a few years of finding eBay, I got serious about collecting that. And, of course, you know, when you start 
collecting and you start wanting everything of everything. So I started getting all consoles and trying to find games, but I never really got real deep into uh, collecting for other consoles because by the time I realized how much time and effort I'd put into a collection and then the baseball thing, baseball card thing kicked in and I'm like, you know what? That didn't really work out. And what am I really doing with it? Right. Yeah. Collector mentality never really stuck with me, thankfully, but I wish it would have because I probably sold the Hugh card collection one year and the CD collection the next year, both of them for about three to $4,000 total each. And if I had them today, they would probably be worth, I don't know, three or four times that. Yeah, it's absolutely. On that thing. Yeah, yeah, that's craziness. You know, I had a, I had a bunch of stuff because when I, just like you, when eBay first came out, I think one of the first things I bought was a Sega Nomad for like $40. It was just the coolest thing in the world because, you know, I loved Genesis and you know, it was working. It worked fine and everything. I bought a couple of games and then... I sold it for like 80 bucks a year or two later because I just needed cash or something. I was a kid, and, you know, and now like they go for uh, at least 100 and you know, and that was just a nomad. I mean, I had things like a CDX and a bunch of really rare crap that I found and, you know, when eBay was new, no one really knew about it. So you just, and there was no buy it now. You just get what you got when the auction was running. So I ended up with a ton of stuff that I ended up getting rid of eventually for whatever stupid reasons, but... Yeah, it's a it's an easy rat hole to go down. Yeah. Were you ever on um, what was that other site? The trading site, Game Trading Zone. No. On that, that was a fiasco too. No, and it, you know I was really into games as a kid, and then pretty much as soon as I hit the drinking age, uh, you know, not twenty one, but like your average when your average teenager gets into it, um, all I really cared about was you know music and partying, and then. Every time I would get back into games, like I bought the Nomad and I started playing Sonic and Mortal Kombat all the time again, and then I get a good job, so now I'm working 50-hour weeks, and, you know, the most important hobbies are the ones you keep up with, and at the time, that wasn't it. And then, you know, you find an emulator box, then I got a Wii, and it's just it one right after the other, and it wasn't until, really, I, I got the controller adapter for the Wii. So now you're actually holding a Genesis controller and playing something that sort of feels like the original. That's when it really hit me, like, whoa, I gotta get back into this stuff. This was awesome. This was an experience that you... At least when the Wii was out, there really weren't many, you know, classic-style games. So, yeah, that's really what spiraled me into it. And then, of course, once I figured out... Once I remembered about RGB, that was it. I just... And I remember, too, having a, a whole conversation with my cousin Scott, just sitting in my apartment, like, all right... There's this guy called Game Tech, and I think he can RGB mod my Nintendo, but is it worth it? And we're like, well, how much is it going to cost? And like, fuck it. And when we got that thing home, <laughs> the first time we played Contra, we were both just like, holy fuck, this is absolutely worth it. And now there's, so you know, ten different ways. But... Hmm? I did do one for you? You did. You did my original PlayChoice uh, Play 10 NES and the stereo sound mod. Uh, and you did a great job and everything, too. And I think uh, I ended up having to send it back because something stopped working, like the reset button. But I was like, look, I don't I don't know what you did. I didn't want to... And I eventually opened it back up. And it, was, it was good work and everything, but it was just... Uh, yeah, I was so excited because at the time, Tim's board wasn't even a, glim, a glimmer in his eye at that point. And if it was, he certainly hadn't told anybody about it. So it was at least a good year between the time I got that and his board came out, I think. So. You don't still have it? 
I do. It's with Voltar. Um, I'm uh, I'm making him to tear it apart and redo a few things on it because uh, I want to have like an original Play Choice Ten Ness. And uh, we just we were spitballing a couple of ideas a couple times, and he's like, "Well, just send it to me, and you know, we'll see what we could do." So I'm gonna see if I could put some of the switches on it for the Play Choice Ten games, and basically just go nuts because you know Tim's mod is so good. There's no reason to have a Play Choice Ten anymore. Unless you just want one, I just think it's really cool that it's you know an official Nintendo chip inside of a toaster that can output RGB like that. So it's kind See, of useless, asking, but kind of fun. I was asking because there's a possibility that like you know the old mod work is not as good as as what you would think, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I don't have any of my old work here, but it'd be fun to do a video to show some of my old work because. It isn't. It's not up to today's standards by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, well, this was five years ago, so I would imagine not. I mean, we're all growing and getting better. Even even those of us that started out good, what well, not me, obviously, but those of us that started out good are getting are getting even better now. But yeah, I, I do remember it wasn't perfect, but it certainly wasn't good enough to to put in like a messy mod work video. I'm not sure if you saw mine, but I really loved that because I just made fun of myself. So no one felt targeted or anything like that. It's not like I pulled out, you know, and said, hey, you know, look at what Jason did five years ago or something. I thought it was more fun to just make fun of myself, but it wasn't, it wouldn't have even fit in that. It was good stuff. There was just, you know, little tricks that you learn, like how to keep the resistors more solid. You know, what about making your own uh, surface mount board now, as opposed to just doing through hole stuff and, you know, all the little things that you've done over the years. It's just a, you know, live and learn type of stuff, but it certainly wasn't bad work or anything like that. No, that, that video is, I mean, I want to do one just like it of my work because, uh, you know, like um, the Kevin Horton's composite amp for the top loader, you know, eventually morphed into that little thing. Yeah. That's going to focus. But that is a far stretch from what it started out as. I mean, those components were all just leg tied together. And then I think in the first year or so, I was wrapping all those components with uh, uh, packing tape like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, hey, it's better than bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> well, and my thought was it's just five volts. You know, almost anything's going to insulate five volts from the ground. <laughs> I don't know why I just didn't grab some electrical tape, but there's still some of those out there. I guarantee it. And that would be hilarious to see those today and be like, wow, what was I thinking? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's why I really love going back and revisiting that stuff, because it's like, you know, and it's really hard on forums, too, because you have some guys that are, are really helpful, but they just don't know how to communicate well, so they come across as assholes. So they'll post a response that's 100% true, and it's like, oh, this guy's a dick, forget it. You know, and you don't realize that everything they said was right, and all these things that, yes, it will work. It would be so much better if you did it this way instead. Um, that was a lot of what uh, you know. I tried to I tried to do in that video is word it in ways where people can understand, because there were so many things where I was just like, but everything's isolated, no cold solder joints, everything's perfect. You know, why would I need to do it the other way? And it wasn't until I really started to understand where I'm like, well, this is going to be a massive difference. So even things like using. Um, you know, like uh, all of the the mods where the pins, like the multi-out pins, the boards slide over that. I mean, those alone just take out half of the garbage inside a console. So now you have half the connections to worry about, half the wires flopping around. It's just, it's awesome to see things that, that are progressed. And your, um, what's it, the Duo Region board? 
Yeah. That thing's fucking great. The one that slides right over and uh, you lift the pins up, solder that directly to it. I mean, the what that changes the inside of the mod to is night and day. I mean, it's completely yeah. neat, uh, neat and, and different. So that stuff's always awesome. Yeah, I really looked at that for a long time, and what I wanted to do was to do where you did not cut the hue card pins at all. Like the TG16 mod I did, mm -hmm. that one you just cut some traces, which sucks, but whatever. But the the CD video comes in to those pins on the hue card slot, and then they go to you know the, the 62, 60, 70, and 80 chips. So there wasn't really a good way to do the region mod from the bottom on that. That's why it ended up being up on top of the hue card slot. Gotcha. Which is why it doesn't work with the Turbo Express. Unfortunately, there's just not room to fit it up there. So uh, all of these things that, that you've been working on, um, I know you, you've kind of flip-flopped back and forth on some of the work that you do, what you're selling. Do you actually do for higher mod work anymore, or are you mostly just selling boards and kits and stuff? I just don't... I got burnt out on it, really. Um, would have been 2013 or... Let's see. Yeah. 2012 through 2014, just before the high definition. I did do a lot of NESRGB work and, you know, Play Choice 10 RGB stuff. Mm -hmm. But having somebody's console here waiting on me to get it done just got really stressful. And unfortunately, the, the NESRGB kit will generate hundreds of emails between you and the customer because yes. there are so many ways to make that happen. Yep. I mean... It's ridiculous, and that's one of the things I was pushing for with Kevin and the High Def Nest Kit. I said, I want everything in there so that the customer can just turn it on or off themselves, and it's not like I have to explain every little thing to them. Mm. That's the way it worked out, and it's that's why it's so great. Yeah, I do love that kit. And it, it is so easy to get burned out. And, you know, sometimes people get excited, and it's hard to deal with them because uh, I don't... I don't ever do for higher mods, but there's been many times where I've asked, like, hey, can I borrow a console? I'll do the mod for free. I just need to make a video. And, I, you know, I, I send emails every step of the way. I send pictures of the work, you know. And some people have the, the mentality of, like, wow, that's awesome. Thanks for keeping me in the loop. And other people are just, like, <laughs> for every one email I send, they'd send three back. And it's like, I just, I don't have time. I can only imagine what it would be like to do that for a living like that. And you, wasn't that your main job for at least a few months at one point? It still is. I mean, I'm doing mod work. It's just not for Not for higher mod work. Yeah, gotcha. For consoles that I have here that are being modded and sold on the site. Gotcha. So that's your main thing now is just uh, you know pre-modding consoles and selling them up on your site or eBay or something like that? Uh, eBay very rarely anymore. It's it's hard to justify that extra 10%. That, yeah, that adds a lot of cost. And there's always hidden costs. And people people always get annoyed when I say that. Like, no, the cost calculator is right there. Bullshit. Go sell something for 500 bucks. And then don't sell anything else that month, and then watch how much they charge you at the end of the month. It's not what that cost calculator is. It's always more. It's always something. <laughs> no, yeah. I, it's, well, I wouldn't say I will never sell on eBay. It'll have to be something that is very special, like that people wouldn't think is on my site for sale. Or, like, you know, when I have something for sale, I usually post it on Twitter, and within a few days, it's bought and gone. Yeah. Like I posted a Ultra HDMI modded N64 uh, original black version uh, middle last week, and it was bought by Friday. 
the one advantage of eBay though is you do cover the whole world. You know, that's, you, yeah, that's where you pay the ten percent. But yeah, yep, yeah. It's so many compl- so many complaints about them. They treat sellers terrible. You know, basically the buyer can do almost anything, and you're just stuck dealing with it. So kind of annoying. Well, like I just sold my uh, my NEC projector. I had a laser projector. Mm-hmm. I did a video about fixing it. And it was on eBay for two months, kept lowering the price, and it finally sold. And the buyer had like six feedbacks, so I'm sitting here waiting for something bad to happen. Yeah, I sold a guitar to somebody with two feedback, and I just went, I know better, and this is it, it's going to be a nightmare, I'm going to lose everything. And the guy was freaking awesome. He even texted me to thank me and said he loved the guitar, so that was, was one of the rare times where I was like, I took a risk and it was worth it. Yeah. The other, the other reason that eBay worked for me so well is I was willing to ship worldwide, and a lot of people weren't. Yeah, it can get complicated sometimes, too. And I didn't realize that when you go through the eBay global shipping program, they open the box and then put it in one of their boxes. So whatever you have shipped through it, your stuff will get torn open. So I do not like that. No, somebody, um, you know, when I used to sell those little RGB amps, uh, I forgot where it was. Maybe Mexico City or something. You know, it took it, it took like six months to get there. And he goes, you know, I understand about the shipping. You know, it's not your fault, but you know, because I see how quickly you put it in the mail. But do you think maybe you could have at least put it in some kind of bubble wrap? I went, what do you? You know, I sent a picture. I was like, this is what I ship everything in. They're empty static bag and a bubble bag, and it was literally just like the chip in an envelope with an eBay stamp on it. They they had ripped open the bubble wrap envelope pulled the chip out, thrown it in a new one, and shipped it to him that way. That, I was, that blew me away. I, I haven't used them since. That's some I've never shit. used that service, but yeah, that's crazy. And that was, you know, a $15 board. Imagine if that was one of your consoles, you know, some rare, you know, rare thing that you did a mod to that you just sold for 400 bucks. Somebody just tears it open and throws it in a new box. I would not be happy. <laughs> yeah. So your uh, your YouTube channel has been kicking ass for a while now. You got a bunch of subscribers. You put out a bunch of really cool videos. Um, do you uh, did you ever do a, a video of like your most recent setup and how you shoot the videos? Because uh, you know I've always I've been playing around with how to get the best video when you're recording these things. And you know, do you just use basic video cameras or do you have any kind of tricks for this? No, actually. Uh... I have a camera that I like. Um, my last job, I was a field service technician for an agricultural tool company, and they sold it in ammonia equipment. And so I was traveling all over like Great Plains, mm-hmm. and one, I was trying to help out with like like marketing or whatever for the company. And I said, "Why don't we have more videos?" Because you know that's the thing. So they actually bought me a, um, this Canon. HFS 100. Hmm. So I got to know it and like it, you know, and of course it's 1080p, whatever. It's a really good camera. And that's what I started using for doing YouTube videos because it just happened to be what they bought me and what I got used to. There, I mean, I and I don't know crap about the settings on a camera or anything, <laughs> really. That's You got like, lucky I because I've played with a lot of them and it's, it's really hard to get everything just right. I agree. And you record on the camera, right? You don't try the stupid crap that I do where you run the HDMI out of the camera into a capture card. Right. Everything's 
Yeah, everything's recorded to SD card, and then take the SD card to the main computer for editing. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's my problem because the way I do things, it's it always gets you know you get missed frames and stuff like that. But really, I've yeah. never tried to, I've never tried the well other than live streaming, but I don't actually record that. It just goes straight to YouTube, I guess. Yeah, that saves on. You could have that auto save on YouTube though, right? I, yeah, it, it it I've only done three of them, three or four of them, and they. They automatically uploaded once it was done, hmm. which is another reason why I worked with OBS so much because there was a way to insert the YouTube chat window into the video. That way it was there. Like you guys could do that for the round table almost. Oh, you know what? That's a great idea. I didn't even realize that. I just, just uh, so many people do that and I completely slipped my mind. Oh, that's a good idea. I, I gotta do I, that next time. Heads and the YouTube chat window and the logo in there, but you're missing a lot by not having it in there, of course. But I don't know. No, that's a I, great idea. I didn't even think about that. Getting after it's already uploaded too. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing because there were a lot of good comments a couple times, and I just you know we tried to go back and find them, and they're lost forever. So that's a great idea. I can't believe we never thought of that. So many other people have those too. I just I'm not a. You know, I, I don't stream very often. I think the the most I've ever done is the the retro roundtable. Usually, everything's pre-recorded, so I don't even think of that. It's a great idea. I'm gonna make fun of the guys for not thinking about that too. <laughs> <laughs> I just googled it. I, it was fairly easy. I think it was just some code that gets inserted into OBS or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It wasn't that bad, really. So, um, I mean, what is a what's your main focus lately? Do you have another project coming up that you're allowed to talk about? Are you just going to continue doing some of the modding videos? Anything like new and exciting popping up? Uh, I have so many irons in the fire; it's not even funny. I wouldn't even know where to start, really. I mean, like good, this week. Good. That means you're moving forward and you keep going. <laughs> sure. Like, well, I mean, even for the past year, I've been trying to get more products onto the website. And it just takes so much effort, and before you know it, the, the project stalled, or they're trying to change it, and nothing ever really happens. Oh, like even the OSSC, I was trying to get in on that, and it's just like, well, should I wait for Wolf to finish Rev 2 before I really jump in, or just yeah, not that's an interesting do? situation, too. So I'm not really sure... Yeah, I think they're they're finally getting stock in. So I'm not. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, it would have been great if they had more than one distributor. Not to take away from Matt, of course. I just, you know, I mean, it, it, there's so much demand for that thing. There's no way that having two distributors would would take that much business away from somebody. You know, there is demand for it. I kind of thought maybe the market was getting saturated with just the older versions, and like Video Game Perfection has their own version and then wolf has another version coming out right yeah yeah and i really hope that somebody uh, is able to do a 4k version because you know a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction is like well that's dumb why would you you know why would you need game boy in 4k but uh, so many of the flat panels don't run at their best unless you run them at their native resolution and then you right. get to do some cool stuff like well what if i had a ps3 uh, and what if I ran it at 720 and had integer scaling to 4K rather than run it at 1080p? Would the games look better? Would the frame rates be higher? You know, that's you know that that's something for retro RGB 2.0. You know, when I, I'm really looking forward to getting into that stuff too. Because while the newer consoles, yeah, of course you just use HDMI, but there's still so many like 
tweaks and tricks you can do to improve, you know, each console and each game, especially with 4K displays versus 1080p. So it's definitely something I was getting interested in, and hopefully somebody will uh, come up with that new version. I think it... I mean, I'm oversimplifying, of course, but I think it would just need the upgraded FPGA and then code to add the different... I think the groundwork that Marcus laid is enough where, you know, it wouldn't be months of work to do that. It would just be a lot rather than a shitload. <laughs> so, you know, I think, uh, I think the last time somebody checked for me, though, they said that just the cost to build something like that would be about 500 bucks. But, I mean, I guarantee you, you'd still sell at least a thousand a year if you had to make a profit off of that for hardcore gamers that really just want to squeeze the best out of them. So... Who knows, maybe that'll be one of your next big projects. Somebody will come up with that, and you could manufacture them. Uh, you know, I'll sell anything. Because people just got to contact me and be like, look, are you interested in selling us? And most likely, the answer is yeah. If there's any profit in, for, in it for me, you know, the whole thing with uh, High Definition and Ultra HDMI is, is I'm taking away all of the, what you consider manual labor from the people that are doing the R&D. Like, I don't want Kevin shipping kits. I want Kevin coming up with the next big thing. Right, exactly. You know, and if I get paid to do it and, you know, our relationship is golden, then I'm in for it. So that's actually a great thing to bring up because I, I very, very often have people contact me with, I mean, really great hobby projects, but things that are going to sell, you know, a hundred a year, and they just, they're not set up to make them. They don't really, you know... It's not an insult to them, but this isn't selling these things isn't what they do. They like making them, and they're great designs. And some people really go the distance and make you know all surface mount components, really nice looking boards, but they just don't know how to deal with anything else. Nor do they want to deal with the storefront. So is that the type of thing that you'd be interested in as well? I mean, obviously you're going to make a, a, at least a small cut up on on top, but would you yeah. even be you know small quantity runs is, of stuff? Yeah, quantity is not an issue for me. I don't really care if it's one or two a month, that's fine. Well, you'll probably get at least a few emails after this then, because there's a bunch of people working on some great stuff, and I'll even make uh, I already, uh, I've been giving your email out to people when they ask, but now I'll just, hopefully the people that are listening will just reach out and contact you right through your website, because I Dude, just... I, I watch your uh, weekly roundup every week and I'm always on top of whatever projects out there trying to figure out if, there, if there's any way that I can get it onto my site you know, I've been in contact with uh, like Citrus Tech 3000 PSI, and uh, I think he's actually in Central Indiana. If oh, really? I'm thinking of yeah. Just, it's, I'm really glad to hear that because uh, I just hope a lot of these great projects don't fall to the wayside because somebody just doesn't have the time to deal with it. You know, it's just that. Thank you for for reaching out to people because that that is really cool. You know, there's a few more. There's that 3DO mod that's coming out. It's a uh, 99% done. Just need a few things need moving around. Um, so hopefully when that's ready, maybe I'll pass that one right along to you as well. In fact, maybe I'll email him now and see if he'll do it. But because Otaku Store stopped selling it, so now there's no there's no option at all. And uh, this guy who uh, did up a new one, it's better in every way. A bunch of cool features on it. I don't want to spoil it. I'll, I'll do a big reveal for him when he's ready, but. He had no way to sell it, so this that would be perfect. It's yeah. certainly a good influx because, I mean, I get at least two emails a week from people wondering about 3DO stuff. Well, it's not like I'm incapable of more than just shipping, too. Like, if, if the creator doesn't want to deal with it at all, 
I'll take care of uh, PCB assembly and testing and programming as well as shipping and everything too. Yeah, that's awesome. Expect a bunch of emails after this interview airs. <laughs> so. so at the very least, um, Ultra HDMI stuff, high def NES stuff, where are you at with that? They, uh, yeah, that's something else I need to talk about. The high def NES is on hiatus until Kevtris finishes this big project he's working on, which I'm not a part of, mm -hmm. you know, and he's got an NDA, so he can't talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking before the end of the year, we'll put, we'll get another order in and more will be for sale. Gotcha. Um, I can't really even say he's going to have time to do any kind of like version two of it. I would love to see version two. Some updates, you know, a lot of people wanted 5X, which I don't have an opinion about, but I wanted like an easier way to get digital audio out. And there was something else. Oh, analog outputs. I wanted to be able to have, you know, a way to get easy RGB S video composite output from it as well. You know, one thing I think would be really great from it, um, and I know we said the code's almost completely filled, uh, but having a one-to-one -one output. Because when you do a digital-to-digital -digital mod like that, you know, as the years go by, you know, it's, it only does up to 4K or 4X. So now, you you know, maybe a lot of people want 5X. I certainly do. And now 4K TVs are coming out, so you can do 10 or 11X, and, you know, 8K TVs will be out eventually. And, you know, obviously, if you, it, it would be cool to see products evolve with that. But the other side of it is if you have a, a no-lag digital-to-digital 240p output, and then you have new scalers coming out, um, that can do all of these new things that we need them to do. Uh, having that one-to-one -one mode is like it's just the perfect pass-through. Then you get digital, you know, pure clean signal through it, and then let the new, you know, let the OSSC 2.0, let's 4K do the 4K upscaling or something. That's I'm certainly assuming something it's not like a that. problem for him to do. Mm -hmm. But I think it. What does the HDMI standard even have 240p? It does now, which is weird because it didn't at first. That was one of the things Steve from HD Retrovision pointed out to me a couple of months ago because the last time I checked was when I first started the site and I couldn't find anything on it. But they published the specs and it was added, which explains why a lot more t uh, newer TVs will play older consoles rather than some of... Like my uh, 2012 Panasonic Plasma um, won't do uh, 240p through the HDMI, but it will through component. And now almost every new TV that I try does all resolutions through HDMI. Hmm. So. Right on. Yeah, I don't know who got that passed through, but awesome. <laughs> right. That'd be something to talk to him about. That's another thing is I get a lot of emails about it, like technical questions, and I'm like, I'm talking to the wrong guy, but unfortunately Kevin's not that easy to contact either. But if you if you have technical questions, the best place is Nesdev thread. Yeah. Post there. There's a lot of good guys on there, too, that'll jump in and help if he's yeah. busy for basic questions and stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll answer there, too, if I, if I know the answer. Mm. But for the highly technical stuff, you got to ask him. And what about the uh, Ultra HDMIs you were selling? Obviously, that's Marshall's project, but um, like is that you're still selling the boards and everything, right? Yeah, I just... Um, people don't understand that Marshall does not communicate at all to me <laughs> as well as anybody else. I have found him quite hard to get a hold of, yeah. Yeah. I'll get an email out of the blue saying, Yeah, I'll go ahead and start a sale. That's that's what I that's the kind of communication I get from him. It's funny because he showed up 
on that first live stream that I did, mm-hmm. and that's been like a month and a half ago. And even then, I was like, Marshall, I emailed you a bunch of questions. Please reply and answer them. And I still didn't get nothing. <laughs> yeah, I only spoke to him once. I was on a badass console stream like six months ago or something. And I think I jumped on the Discord or whatever, and, and he was on there. I was just like, holy shit, you're, you're a real person. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I'm glad you exist. You know, what's up? And but yeah, I don't know if he's really busy or if he just... Uh, it's really hard to manage your time when you start getting a lot of emails, right? Because... You get home from work, it's the end of the day, you got like three or four hours to work on a project. Do you spend two of those hours writing emails or do you, you know, do you exactly. blow it off and get to your project? So, yeah, he was another one of those I wanted to, I wanted to get more of the shipping side away from him so he could do more R&D work because I think he still sells them directly to, to anybody that wants to be like an installer or buy so many kits at a time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I could just do all of his sales, then maybe he'd have more time to make new new or more products or whatever. Yeah, that's what, you I know, can't. I keep trying to tell a lot of my friends that do this stuff, like, stick with what, you're, what you can do that other people can't do as well. Let everybody else handle what they're good at, you know, and a lot of things like guys that sell stuff, you know, just hire some part-time people, a couple of high school kids that you can trust. Just come twice a week, you know, two, three times a week, answer emails, because most of the stuff, I'm sure, is generic things. Like, this is my order number, you know, where it, has it shipped yet? You know, it's, do you yeah. have this in stock? Things that you don't need the expert to answer, that you could just have a generic list of questions. So I would, you know, don't outsource it to India, because we all know how that goes. But, you know, there, there are other ways to pass things around. So ho- hopefully people will start to get the swing of that. But Yeah, that's why I have the Frequently Asked Questions page. Yep. And I'll very often just reply with a link to that page. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's hard, too, because every website has frequently asked question page on it. All the nerd websites like mine and yours and everything. And um, a lot of times, there's just not good info there. So <laughs> I, there's many times I've done that same mistake where I'll go to a website, and if I had just looked at the, the FAQ page, everything would have been answered, but I just didn't even think to, so... And maybe put in big letters on your front page, like all all questions are answered through the FAQ first or something. But. Well, I have a contact page, right? And at the top of the page, it says read the fact first. And I still get questions that are answered in the facts, but it yeah. happens. I'm sure as just as many people that read it and decided not to email me, there's probably 10 times more people like that than that actually didn't read it and went ahead and emailed me. Yeah, I still, um, I still, I think I've responded to almost every email I've gotten, and I'm, that's, I can't be doing that much longer because it's starting to get a little ridiculous. Hopefully, when my forum goes live, I could just filter all support through there. But um, the only ones that I get annoyed at are, hey, I just read through your entire uh, website, but you have a, a problem with one of your pages. Yeah, I have a TV with RGB inputs, but there's no sync thing. So uh, you know, your web page is wrong. How can I plug that in? <laughs> that's component so no you didn't read through my page you just probably looked at the pictures and skimmed it uh, here you go reread this section <laughs> yeah. it's the only time I get frustrated or it's like fuck, I spent hours and hours trying to it's still it's not even remotely close to perfect but you didn't even you didn't even read it at all <laughs> so, that's the only times I ever get frustrated but yeah I don't know how you put so much time into that man well, I'll, I'll tell you, I know exactly. Um, I would have never been able to, first of all, if I had known 
how far I would take it. I probably would have chickened out and never started it in the first place. Um, but I have an, an IT job um, where I work from home, and a lot of what I do is, you know, you write you write a program to do something, you're waiting for an image to load, and there's tons and tons of, like, seven, eight minutes where you have to click and wait. So having projects where I could just do five minutes at a time and I don't need total, you know, con- concentration, um, I was able to, you know, the, the hardest things I've done on the site were days where, you know, I had to get the project done and I'm working... 12 hours a day, but half of that 12 hours was just staring at a wall. So I was able to just, you know, pop up a different window, start doing that, and when the every once in a while, like, same thing with when I recorded the album. It was at a time where I was really only, like, necessary two hours a day for my day job, but I had to be on call in front of a computer. So it's like I got my work window up, I got Pro Tools in the middle where I'm trying to record a guitar solo, and then every time I need a break, I go over here and write something about Super Nintendo, so... One of the times having borderline ADHD was a big help because I was just just bouncing back and forth between everything and having all that time to fill was the only way I'd be able to do it. So either that or making it a full-time job, which I would love to do that, but, you know. We'll see, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So you work from home all the time or? Um, they When they need to, they send me out to clients to do stuff. Um, it's... It's basic IT, pretty much. Well, what, what I'm getting at is, why did you move to New York City? Oh, uh, my wife is a, a floor manager at a fancy department store. Um, and she oh. worked at one of those, and we were in Stanford, Connecticut. It was like an hour and 15 commute each way, so it sucked, but, you know, whatever. It's about the same as the commute from uh, my office in Brooklyn to Manhattan, actually. And then when she got this new job, it was at least an hour and 45 each way. But you have to take a subway, so if you walk down as the subway pulls away, it's 15 more minutes. It was driving her apeshit, so we just said, fine, we'll move to the city, and moved into a little room. <laughs> so, <laughs> hence, hence getting the office, uh, which was, this lucked out, because, you know, it's far from me, but it's uh, it's perfect. You know, even if something happens and I can't do retro RGB full-time, it's enough, it's cheap enough where I could just keep this as a place to go and, and, and have a glorified storage area, if nothing else, I guess. Well, I feel you on the, uh, the commute thing. I used to, I used to commute like maybe 20 minutes and I hated it. I moved oh, yeah. because of that 20 minutes. <laughs> that's I funny. Mean, that's, yeah. That's how bad I hate commuting. So yeah, it I've never heard. really bothered me in a car, which I know to each his own, right? Because uh, like my wife, a lot of my friends, they loved the fact that they would get on the train and they would open up a book, an iPad, whatever else, and either space out or go through emails. So those are done by the time you get to work. They they loved that. I I I go stir crazy with stuff like that. At least in your own car, you know, I could crank up the tunes and sing along like a moron, or or pull over and get a soda if I just, if I'm in the mood for a soda. You know, it's which stuff that you can't do if you're stuck on a train for an hour. So I never mind commuting in the car, but to each his own. Everybody's everybody's different with that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's always the debate. Like if I we moved to the middle of nowhere, you know, to, they had a, bought one of those big houses for nothing because you know you're in the middle of the woods or something and. You know, I could afford to do retro RGB full time, but then I don't have the access to any of the stuff that I have in New York. I can't jump on a train and go see something cool. Yeah, like the guy uh, Jose Cruz was just here a couple of days ago, RGB modding a TV, teaching me how to do that. Like, when the fuck am I ever going to get that opportunity if I live nowhere? You know, and then so it's always back and forth. It's so far so good with New York, but 
man, it's rough sometimes. You know, everything's expensive. Piece of pizza is six bucks sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, I was there in 2009 visiting uh, my first time in New York City, and I was shocked actually because. You know, I grew up on the only thing I knew about New York City was what I've seen in movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's going to be violent crime and just <laughs> awful, you know? Like Death Wish 3. <laughs> <laughs> so the biggest thing I came away with is we were on a subway and there was this older, probably richer woman sitting down right next to a homeless guy. And, and no problems. And yeah. I was just looking at him. I'm like, that 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 explains New York City more to me than anything that I've seen so far. Yeah, it's you know, there's so many misconceptions because I've always lived close enough where you know, I think I was like 13 and went to my first Megadeth concert or something in the city, wandering around. And uh, there's like it, that everybody in New York City is an asshole thing. I think yeah. the reason is because everybody's in a rush to get someplace, and they get really annoyed if you're wandering around stopped in the middle of a sidewalk. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard people with a thick accent stop and ask somebody for directions, and people who are power walking down the road running people over will stop and help. So it's, you know, it, that always kind of shocked me, because you hear the, the stereotypes of New Yorkers, and it's just... You know, yeah, if you're stopped in the middle of a sidewalk where people are trying to walk, you're going to get run over by people walking. But, you know, it's uh, that was kind of cool. That and uh, um, everything smells like pee in the summer. I don't mean to be too gross, but it's just you walk on the subways, you walk through the park. You know, I had a New York moment where there was like this awesome street fair and I got this food. Uh, if anybody's around the area, it was the freaking Rican, just amazing Puerto Rican food. I sat down and... I just, there was like a park right there. I was like, oh, perfect. I get to be like, do the New York thing where I can get the food, just go sit in the park for, you know, 10 minutes, then head to the office. I open it up, I stick my fork in, I just went, oh, closed the food, got in the subway, went to work. <laughs> just couldn't even do it. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting place to live. I, uh, I always felt at home here, uh, but even when I was just visiting, but it's not for everybody. <laughs> Your first concert was Megadeth? My first concert was actually Metallica at Nassau Coliseum. Um, we had seats that were so bad, our backs were literally up against the cement. You, you literally couldn't get any worse seats. Uh, Corrosion of Conformity opened, and then when, it, they, when they were off stage and the roadies were coming on, my friends and I were like, is that Metallica? Like, it was that we were that far away that we couldn't see. When the lights went out for Metallica, everybody starts charging the center pit area. So I just yeah. grabbed my friend. I was like, that's us. So we had to run <laughs> all the way down all of the stairs to the bottom, run through, and then we're on the staircase going down, and these jacked security guards are trying to get us out. People who paid a lot of money for the seats are trying to, you know, screaming at us. And some guy just grabbed us, you know, way thinner than, just grabs me by my pants and threw me over the security guard. And I kind of just <laughs> landed on the ground, and I look up, and I'm in the general admission area. I was like, oh, <laughs> I ran five minutes later during the strobe lights in one. I am literally up against the fence in front of James Hetfield. Like, it was me, fence, space, Hetfield. I'm just like, I remember looking up, and like, I was there, and suddenly now, ten minutes later, I am here. And that was my first concert. And the second one was Megadeth in the City. That was, a, yeah, always a bit of a nutball. My cousin Scott as well, the one that's on the podcast with me, 
He uh, he doesn't look like uh, like as much of a nutball as as he is. But that guy and I have been in the craziest mosh pits on the planet. <laughs> she just never faces him. He's just always right there in the middle with me. My first concert was Metallica as well. Oh yeah, where'd you see him? I, well, it was, it was called Deer Creek back then. It's uh, I think it's Verizon Music Center or some shit now, but Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And I think this would have been '94. Yeah, it was the same tour. Yeah. Was Danzig with him when you seen him? No, it was Corrosion and Conformity. See, I want to say Danzig was with him when I seen him, but I could be wrong about that. It's been so long. I think my ticket has faded to the point where I can't even read it anymore. Oh, I still have them all there because I, I still have all my crap. I still have my booklets of all my original tickets. And now that I think about it, it was 96, not 94, so you saw them right before me. Okay. But, yeah, it's some... Uh, man, it's, all that music completely changed everything about me. I, I just... You know... Mild case of ADHD, never really focus on anything. And next thing you know, I think I woke up when I was a kid one day. And my dad puts on music, and I just—it's like seven thirty in the morning. I woke up so pissed off, like, "What is this?" And I just heard, you know, like Aqualung by Jethro Tull. I'm like, "What is this? Something is calling my name right now. Like, this is fucking killer." <laughs> I've been hooked. I hooked on the music from then on, trying to play guitar and all that stuff. So. Mine was uh, seeing the Metallica One video on MTV. What a great, great song. Great video, too. That stuff is absolutely kick-ass. Did you ever play any instruments or anything? No, not talented enough. (laughs) (laughs) Neither am I. I've just been playing for so long that I pull it off. I I just couldn't stick with it. What I really wanted to do was try to play violin. Oh, really? I heard somebody play violin once, and... I don't know. I couldn't even tell you what song it was, but it was amazing, and I loved it. And I actually bought one, and I put it up here, and I have a plate and five screws in my collarbone right here. Oh, it, it could. I could not get that thing to sit there in any way that was comfortable at, at, for any length of time. Plus, I've broken both my wrists, so I can't. Wait. So, how did you break both your wrists, and then how do you have a plate in your collarbone? <laughs> I didn't break them at the same time. <laughs> uh, left one when I was when I was a young kid. Um, we were setting up for a wedding, and we were moving folding chairs out of a truck. And so I took a chair in each arm and jumped out of the back of a truck. Oh like no! When I landed, my wrist was broke. Oh. Um, the right wrist broke. Crap! <laughs> I would have been in middle school, and I think I was. Uh, no, yeah, it was a, a skateboarding accident. First time on a skateboard, going down a hill, uh, dipping the tarmac or something, and I fly off backwards and land on my wrist, and it was snapped right here, and my hand was way back, you know. <laughs> uh, the collarbone, let's see, that was a dirt bike accident. I was on a motocross track. I was on a 250, which is way too much power to start out on. And I was on a very small jump. Like, I've been on it for... I, I ride motorcycles. That's not the problem. The problem was is I was trying to do from one jump to the next. Not just go over it and land on the ground. I wanted to go from Like an excite bike. Huh? Like an excite bike. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> for some reason, when I landed, I just I kept bouncing and I went over the handlebars. And when I got up, my my collarbone was like this. 
Yeah, well, let me tell you right now, I'm not a doctor, but those three things are things that you very badly need in order to play violin. <laughs> Both wrists and a, a locked collarbone to keep it in place. I think that's why I couldn't get I couldn't get guitar either, because I just, I can't, it doesn't feel right to twist my wrist that way and, and try to do stuff. If you uh, if you broke your wrist, you guaranteed healed with a loss of range of motion, because I, I screwed up this wrist so bad a couple years ago that I, I'd show up at a party, it was literally the first beer of the night, and then, like, I hear a glass break, and I start laughing, like, oh, party foul, and everybody's looking at me. I'm like, what? I look down, and it was my glass. And I just, my hand would just go loose. And I uh, I had to stop riding motorcycles for, I mean, two years. I had to stop playing guitar for a year, which sucked, because, you know, that's a skill that you got to keep up and if you want to keep doing it. And none of the doctors believed that it was true, because uh, I, uh, when I it started to hurt really bad, I was at work, and my boss trying to do a nice thing, said, well, if it's at work, you should do workman's comp. I want to make sure you didn't injure it here. But because it was workman's comp, all the doctors thought it was full of shit. And uh, huh. one one um, like physical therapist lady, it started to get worse and worse. And uh, I was just like, well, I, can I just have a copy of my transcript? I just want to get a second opinion. And her eyes bugged out of her head, and she realized she never listened to anything I said. She just assumed it was workman's comp. So she's like, actually, this treatment's probably not right for you. Why don't you come back again? I'm like, nah, fuck you. And uh, it was acupuncture that did it. Some guy, I told him the story, told him the, the long version of the story. He's like, I'm so pissed off when I hear that. Here's what's going to happen. These little needles are going to go right through all of that scar tissue. And your body's going to think, oh my god, something's wrong. And all the white blood cells are going to go rushing towards it. But because the needles are so tiny, um, it doesn't. there's not really a healing process. It's not like you know when you have an operation and two weeks to heal, a couple months before it's ready like two days with acupuncture. So after you know two years of not riding a motorcycle, not playing guitar for a year, and then kind of sucking at it for another year after, uh, two months of treatment, my guitar was right back up, and I could ride motorcycles without losing feeling in my hand. Hmm. Craziness, right? That's amazing. Yeah, kind of sucked that it took that long, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, uh, did I forget anything? Because I was just having a lot of fun hanging out and talking. <laughs> Um, did you know I have a second YouTube channel? I did not. Okay, what's the second YouTube channel? Jason Does DIY. No, I, what's that all about? I work on cars and stuff. I vaguely remember something about that. So what kind of videos are up there now? Do you have, um, I wonder if I could pull it up in OBS. Probably not, because this thing's temperamental, but... Uh, the, the latest one is the only reason I bring it up. I, I went down to uh, Kentucky for the eclipse. Oh, really? Yeah. It was epic. I knew it was going to be awesome, but it was epic. But my video sucked. <laughs> Aw. Yeah. All I can't I find the like, channel. What's it called again? Jason Does DIY, one word. Did you uh, did you go out and meet Voltar where you were out there? No, he was still like four or five hours away from where we were. Yeah, it's funny because a, uh, a lot of people... Um, that don't live in uh, the U.S. sometimes don't grasp how, how huge it is. Right. One of my friends came from Wales. Uh, one of her friends was in um, California, and I think she was in Colorado. And her friend was like, oh, I'm in America too. Why don't we go hang out? She's like, the flight to get to you is longer than the flight to get from home to where I am now. <laughs> like, right. can't do that. But, yeah, that's cool, though. Well, I'll put a link to that channel in the description as well for people that are um, that are into that. I'm still having percent car working on cars. Oh, there you go. 
you get some cool stuff up on here. Was that your Cadillac CT or STS? Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of them are my cars. Uh, a bit of a problem. <laughs> my car holder. So you're a collector of everything then. You get a bunch of cars, a bunch of game consoles, a bunch of baseball cards. Exactly. That's cool stuff. I didn't yeah, I didn't know about that. I'll definitely leave a link in the description. I uh I was good enough at working on cars where I, I uh I had a lot of fun as a kid. But I used to, you know, illegally drag race in Bridgeport, Connecticut for like a year when I was sixteen. And then as soon as I started going to the track and seeing people, I realized everybody who was winning had the most money. It had nothing yeah. to do with who was a better racer. So I just discovered motorcycles and, you know, you buy a $3,000 motorcycle, it'll scare the shit out of you every time you get on it. Whereas, you know, would, how, how much would you have to spend on a car that scares you every time you get in it? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that was it for racing for me. But I always enjoyed the hell out of it, especially figuring out how to fix stuff. Well, it's the same with the nerd stuff, I guess. But going in and, you know, figuring out the problem and then learning why it is that it happened, and, you know, and, of course, trying to squeeze every little bit of horsepower you could out of everything. Well, that's the great thing about the internet. Whatever problem you have, somebody's probably, somebody else has probably already had it. Yep. And, and post about it or did a video or something. And that's the only reason I can really do all the car work that I do is because I can just get on the internet and figure out what the problem is and then make the video about how to fix it. Lock yeah, it my car days were in the 90s, so I didn't have a, didn't have that advantage back then. Exactly. Yeah. How, how great would it be to be turning about 18 right now? Yeah, everything Internet everything and, certainly would be a lot easier. Yeah, it'd be great. Huh. I don't know, I had a 79 Camaro that I, I used to try to figure out how to do stuff to, and man, was that car a piece of crap, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I had an 84 Cutlass Sierra two-door, the holiday version with the freaking vinyl top mm-hmm, over the mm-hmm. back half of the roof. What a grandpa car. But I had the digital... digital uh, di- uh, dash on it people thought that was amazing and i'm like it sucks <laughs> yeah yeah well night rider did that for people when they saw that digital right. dash everybody wanted a dash like that and then everybody realized like it's not nearly as good as an analog one so everybody went back but yeah you got to build a night rider kit car that would be that would be the coolest thing ever i want to do kit cars so bad i can taste it yeah, I just I, went back and rewatched all the episodes, and you know, to be honest, other than the last season, they were still they still held up. The stunts that they did were freaking amazing, and I don't care how cheesy it is, I just I loved the dash of that car. It was so weird and different back then. Now let me clarify: I don't want to do that car, a kit car. Oh, Not, I thought you meant build kit, like no. you know. Oh, gotcha. no, I have no interest in in that car. <laughs> oh, I love that one. The motor that I, came in those suck though. You gotta absolutely put a different one in there. I never really got into that show, honestly. Hmm. Yeah, but it was. It wasn't until I was like fourteen until I got into cars. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, the, the actual kit cars, like you know, you, to build your own. Well, that see, has I had, changed so much in the past twenty years. You could actually three uh, D model and, and uh, print whatever body you want. So you could right. buy a rolling, you know, like a tube chassis. And then just basically choose your parts and assemble it from scratch. And then you go in and you, uh, in the mounting points for different things. Um, you could like somebody wanted like a 1969 Camaro kit car, it's the same you know same frame, but then they just printed the parts to kind of look like that on in carbon fiber. It's expensive as hell, but you know 20 years ago that would be 
$150,000 to do that. And now it's 40000 for the whole thing. So, Right. Well, when I was in high school, my grandpa bought us a car to work on together. And it happened to be a 1984 Fiero, which is the base car for all kit cars, you know, for the past, whatever, 30 years. So, of course, that's how I found out about kit cars even existing. And I just... And I never got a chance to do one, but man, there's some amazing stuff out there. Yeah. Not that I'm a Fiero kit car today. I'm just saying, uh, I don't remember what the name of the company is, but man, you can you can build a really probably scarier shit out of you car for a lot cheaper than you could buy a new car. And yeah, and more- those Fiero kit cars. I there was one that was it had to have been near me because I would see it like once a month driving around when I was a kid, and at a distance. I mean, you would think it was a Ferrari. As soon as you get close and you realize it's way too high off the ground to be a Ferrari, but it's still... Yeah, it was really cool that they could do that. My cousin had a 74 Porsche with an 89 kit body in, like, 93. So he looked like a 16-year-old kid driving around in a 4-year-old Porsche. So, once again, at a distance, you get up close to it and you immediately know what it is. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That thing broke down twice a week. Right. All right, man. Well, this was a blast. Um, definitely going to do it again sometime. We'll, uh, next time you have uh, something big going on, let me know, and we'll link up, even if we just do like a live stream or something. We can just crack some beers on camera or whatever, but uh, definitely going to do this again. I definitely need to figure out how to get people into when I do a live stream or something. Like, I'd definitely like, like to get Voltar in on this video for redoing this Doijin dance console because he's the one that started all this repairing me, so he ought to be in on it. Yeah, I think he's a lot of fun to mess with, too, so uh, he's just, you know, wind him up and get him going, and he's entertaining as fuck, so... <laughs> What's funny is, is I actually have been emailing Voltar longer than I have uh, been with Captris. Oh, I yeah? just found out the other day. Oh. Yeah, me and him were talking about... Uh, Oh, back when back before the three D printed rear panel came out for the multi out for for the NES, you know, for NES RGB, mm-hmm. we were talking about molding our own panel for the top loader and front loader or whatever. And of course, it never happened. But that's how long ago me and him have been emailing. That's awesome. It's, it's crazy. Good, it's good through stuff like this, like YouTube, now that we're all able to come come full circle again. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I like this stuff. But yeah, get him on a live stream, and if you know that, uh, like, if you could pick a day, let me know, and I'll let everybody else know on the podcast because I think uh, I think that's something a lot of people would enjoy watching. Whether it's, I mean, live's always more fun because you get to jump in and and you know uh, put the uh, like comment in the chat and basically be yeah. a part of it. But even people that would watch, I think people would definitely watch it after the fact as well. I think that people would have some fun with that. Yeah, it's still. Live streaming is still so new to me. I'm not sure how much of it to, to make into a polished video and how much of it to just put it out there as is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just leave the YouTube autosave feature on. And just if you decide it was a fun thing but not worth keeping, just make it private. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. All right. Well, try to get to that soon because I, I would really enjoy to watch, <laughs> watching that, to be honest. Well, with this you. is... This actually does belong to somebody else, so it's got to get done soon. It's stressing me out. It's got to go. <laughs> well, I will Skype Voltar right now as soon as we hang up just to uh, to poke and prod him to get him to uh, to do this with you quickly because I, I, I would like to be entertained with this as well. 
All right, man. Well, I'll definitely keep in touch. Everybody else will be uh, will be hearing from you. I'll put links to both your channels down below. Although I'm pretty sure everybody knows about your regular YouTube channel. I think a lot of people would probably dig the uh, DIY channel. So make sure to put both of those and a link to your site. And are you on social media? Yeah, you're I, on Twitter or something, right? Yeah, I only post a Twitter just when I like have something for sale or if kits are going on pre-order or sale or anything like that. I don't I don't really like using it for conversations. Yeah. Gotcha. Just you know, just just email me direct. So if people need to get a hold of you, email through the website, check the fact first, and uh, but you could follow you on Twitter for announcements and when stuff goes up on sale. Exactly. Awesome. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. See you, Bob. Take care.